Hey everybody, Dave Lindbergh in Hong Kong with another episode of THD Podcast. Today, joining us from Silicon Valley, we're going to have Michael Ricci from XMEMS to tell us about his Piezo MEMS uh, speaker technology. So we're very interested to find out more about that. Um, but without delay, let's not uh, let's make sure we give a shout out to our sponsor, Alti, the audio loudspeaker technologies international. Always a mouthful, but always a good time. So make sure you check them out. They're a great networking resource. Um, I know they're looking forward to get back to their automotive show coming up sometime this summer. But anyways, uh, once again, please check out Alti as a good resource to network in the audio community. So without delay, let's say hello to Simon in Japan. Hello, Simon. How are you? Very good. Morning, Dave. Uh, evening, Michael, I guess. All right. Hello. So Mike, good evening. Mike, Michael Ricci, thank you for joining us today. Uh, appreciate your time. Um, heard a lot about XMEMS, so maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, how long the company's been around, and then let's let's get right into the uh, the technical explanation of what you guys do and uh, what what's uh, what's hot about it. Sure, the company's about uh, almost four years old. Twenty eighteen, I believe, was uh, uh, incorporation and basically operated in stealth mode while developing a piezo MEMS uh, transduction mechanism, and that's been applied to micro speakers. And now we came out uh, last year with some new products uh, that are entered the market, and they're made on a silicon wafer. So this is an eight-inch wafer from our fab partner, and it has a, a ton of our identical speakers. Every speaker on here is identical. And so kind of interesting because it's all monolithic manufactured uh, in a semiconductor wafer process. How many uh, speakers are on that wafer, roughly? Uh, 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 I don't have the number a lot. Is it like 100? I couldn't. I mean, it's not quite clear. Is it like 100 or is it 10? I would be guessing. I can start counting, but we're going to run out of time. <laughs> okay, but we'll put we'll put the number in the we'll super the number after we get it after this uh, after we have this interview. Maybe, we'll, we can count it later. <laughs> maybe the number shouldn't be shared. Okay, let's not get me fired already, guys. We're only five minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, do, do you want to uh, do you want how do you want to tell us about how it works? Do you have a, a presentation to walk us through or? Yeah, I think I could. Uh, I have a, a, some renderings that I think might uh, uh, help explain uh, the new transduction motor, how it's put together. And then okay. we can get in, get into that. And then uh, that same slide deck uh, was really put together uh, to help people test these because now that they're out in the marketplace, as far as evaluations and prototyping goes, most of the likely suspects have our, have our devices. And so I've been kind of the customer facing uh, engineer helping them evaluate and test the speakers. So I had to put together a deck to help them test it. And I felt, well, I better uh, start with what is the device under test that we're working with and how is it different? Cause there's some unique attributes and behaviors of the piezo MEMS that are different from uh, a voice coil based dynamics or, or balanced armatures. So, so that's just something that um, uh, I thought is a good place to start. So I think it, we should do the same here. Okay. Let's, let's get into it then. Great. Great. So uh, thanks for the opportunity uh, gentlemen to, to let me present this uh, to uh, your audience. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, I thought I knew what it was when I was being interviewed here, but then after opening the hood and looking underneath and working with it, there's definitely some, some cool stuff going on here. So um, we call it piezo MEMS based uh, on the piezo material is doing most of the work in the system, uh, deflecting and moving the radiating surface, which is fabricated uh, with the MEMS process. And it's uh, applied to micro speakers specifically for occluded designs uh, now, but we're also working on um, uh, higher output devices for leaky uh, ANC and, and TWS designs. Okay. So what you see here is kind of a rendering, uh, what would be uh, a kind of a, a crude, uh, definition of what we have, which is a silicon substrate, then there's some metallization, and then we're applying a thin film piezo material, uh, which gets charged with the amplifier, and then there's some additional uh, over metallization that happens, and then we also uh, kind of do something to the membrane to make sure it has independent suspension, so there's some, there's some bypass uh, for, for the moving structures, and so we're able to actuate this uh, with voltage from a class H amplifier, 
and it behaves really interesting. It has a very high uh, resonant peak up somewhere north of 16 kilohertz, closer to probably 18, and uh, becomes more efficient in the high frequencies uh, uh, with the equivalent input, which I'll show in the frequency response uh, plots that I've got prepared. But some of the other interesting things about uh, uh, using a, a MEMS manufacturing process is all of the devices are near identical. Uh, so wafer to wafer, lot to lot, um, the, the sensitivity, the frequency response behavior of the speakers are, are nearly identical. There's maybe a, we test to, uh, in the data sheet to under this number, but we print in the data sheet uh, one and a half dB, but we're holding under a, a dB uh, in, in final test. Uh, and we test them in an anechoic chamber in an automated system. So that must so pretty, that must be incredibly valuable for people building ANC type devices where uh, you having to tune each system once the speaker's in place based on the uh, the frequency response. Is that correct? Uh, there is a lot of sorting that goes on yeah, in, okay. in, the, in the dynamic driver uh, space and in the BA space where people want to uh, uh, match up transducers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you get phase coherency. Um, yeah. And then you can imagine, you know, when you're working with multiple transducers in a two-way design with a dynamic and a BA or maybe a dynamic and two BAs or multiple BAs, uh, like some of the near-monitor companies use, you, um, you know, you want to make sure your, 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 your drivers are as close in sensitivity uh, and phase as you can. And so, yes, this, do, this does help a lot. Uh, we've got people experimenting um, with uh, our speaker and some of the fastest MEMS microphones that are available because we're trying to match a, a low mechanical response or fast mechanical response with low group delay. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly what's going on in the background. Uh, several companies are actually experimenting um, with what they can do uh, with giving back some latency budget to the uh, algorithm engineers in tuning the ANC uh, system. So okay. um, you've got down there uh, low group delay 100 hertz to uh, two and a half kilohertz. Could you say a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so we tried measuring our mechanical response um, on a popular uh, uh, transducer measuring system that uses a laser. Uh, however, um, we're so fast that that system couldn't resolve uh, the speed. We actually had to shoot it with a, a Polytech laser, which is used in the MEMS transducer space uh, for companies that make inkjet uh, print heads and, and other types of moving structures that oscillate at high speed and basically scans the membrane and calculates its, its displacement. So um, we had to use that that type of a sophisticated instrument on an air bearing table in like a university lab. And what we were able to uh, find out is that we're 30 to 150 times faster than uh, the DD or dynamic driver that we were uh, using as our control sample. That came out of a popular large company's uh, ANC uh, TWS uh, uh, earbud uh, product that was very expensive. So we thought that that was a good candidate speaker to, 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 to measure. Uh, that speaker's uh, mechanical response is in the millisecond domain, ours are in the microsecond domain. And you might notice on the back side, you, you, you did notice the two pads, uh, Simon, but yep. there's a solder ring uh, around the back fence. And I'd like to talk about that for a second because that's what helps us yep. separate you know, front volume from back volume. Like a MEMS microphone, you've got a ground seal ring around the bottom port. Well, yep. it's very similar SMT uh, approach here. And so uh, each cell that you see here in gold, uh, underneath each one of those cells is a plurality of, of holes, right? And so that's how we tune this speaker. We call it a speaker because it's a finished speaker. That's our cabinet. Uh, that's basically mm -hmm. a ported system, <laughs> ported in yep. the front and, and ported in the back and, and, mm -hmm. and by design uh, controls its behavior because uh, uh, we know what an occluded uh, ear canal is going to be for pressure. And we also know what atmosphere is in the back volume of an earbud. So we've equalized the, the design. Is, and this is, is, there, actually... is there any kind of process for surface mounting these parts to like uh, like a quality control or, or a special paste or or something that needs to be used to order to make a good seal at the back? Is that something that you have to dictate? Just solder. Yeah, just same just thing solder. for a MEMS mic. Yeah, just, just... Uh, regular SMT reflow uh, uh, standards. Uh, just following best practices you would do for a MEMS mic. Same thing here for the MEMS speaker. Uh, okay. No, no, nothing different uh, is, is required. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you'd have holes in the board to uh, match the rear vent holes. Would you, would you put a big, uh, just put a routed cutout in the board? Well, then there'd be uh, less uh, pressure. 
So we're trying oh, to. Control. So what you're saying is, um, you can actually build it without making holes on your PCB that you're mounting it onto. Uh, you, uh, if you mount it on the PCB, then those those back vents need access to atmosphere at some point okay. in your design. So you just don't want to cover them and block them. Right. But uh, as long as there's some some way that either through you know just some space out to the back of your earbud, you would yep. have a small pinhole. Let's see, I think I have one here. Yeah, I can I can I can show. But usually a half a millimeter hole, uh, like on the back side here. Or, or anywhere really on the product, as long as that's there and you can equalize the internal pressure to the back volume of your product, then um, no problem. It's gonna operate with a 2 dB LFRO all the way down to 20 Hertz. Right. What's interesting about the membrane is I mentioned before, there's some bypass gaps in it. So here you could see it's an array. It's actually six identical cells uh, in the photograph. And each one of those cells is a 20 Hertz to 20 kilohertz transducer all on its own in an occluded design. We have six of them arrayed together to get the SPL target that we're after. But each one of those cells you, you can see is made up by four sections, kind of like four trapezoids, if you will. And those actually can move. They don't touch their neighbor. There's a little bit of a slot there or a slit in the membrane that you could see at like a 45 degree angle. And that kind of gives us a you know, bypass. What I noticed after spending hours listening to these things over the last year and a half is I was able to go four hours without having ear fatigue or bass uh, bother my eardrums and I'm, I'm going wow this is this is really crazy these comply chips are comfortable but they're not that comfortable after a few hours I'm, I'm going to pull them off and just you know that my ear ear, ear can now relax a little bit but I wasn't getting inner ear fatigue I wasn't feeling pressure on my eardrum from listening to music for hours and hours on end and, and tuning and listening to a lot of bass and I was I was trying to contemplate what was going on there and then after looking at some comsol models uh, uh, of how we actually actuate and, and measure this stuff for finite element analysis i'm realizing that the dc static pressure that's building up in my ear canal it, it only goes up to a, a certain level and then actually gets evacuated out through those through the flaps going up and down so you don't really get a buildup of pressure in in your in your eardrum in a fully sealed system where the transducer doesn't have holes in it or bypass gaps in it that's trapped air but uh we actually uh, can can shift some of the air from inside the ear canal to the back volume of the earbud which is uh really interesting it allows for longer listening and, and less and less uh, dc static pressure building up in the ear canal yeah, and so why silicon? Why would anyone want to use silicon? So this was something that uh, I thought was interesting to share because if you talk to a speaker designer, they're going to tell you I want the lightest, stiffest uh, material with a high resonance outside of the critical bands. I want you know so they can achieve a fast transient response, and they would love it to be resistant to uh, changes in temperature, moisture, and humidity. Uh, and that's exactly <laughs> what, what, what the silicon offer, uh, offers us is a pretty ideal a material for this type of small speaker. Mm. Now, just so there's no confusion on what you're seeing on the dime there, the white is just, uh, we were uh, practicing uh, early on with protective mesh before we realized we were IP58 uh, uh, survivable. And so before mm. we had that rating, we were actually used trying out some different mesh and materials to kind of protect uh, uh, the membrane, but we don't we don't ship with that now. It, we, it's not required. It, we, we, you know, it has a little bit of a cover tape on it uh, when, when it ships out to the, to, to the users and they just uh, remove that before they uh, go into assembly. Mm. And then this gives you a little bit of an idea of uh, the side port versus the uh, top port. So on the right side is the top port in the center of the package is that opening. And on the left side, I kind of circled it with a little bit of a red uh, dashed line is the side fire. So that, uh, that allows you to almost have like a zero footprint if you put that on the inside wall of your earbud. Um, what did I do with that guy? You, you'll wind up uh, taking up very, very little space. So let me pop this off. So can you imagine if that's just along this inside edge here, you have the whole rest of your earbud open for allowing a bigger battery or uh, maybe another sensor or two if you're doing some kind of uh, sensor fusion or fitness tracking and you want you know, to have some other kind of feedback from the device that's um, inside your ear canal. That's all, that's lots of extra room available inside the package when you're using uh, the side fire. It's just over a millimeter uh, tall. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as I was describing earlier about the form factors here, 
there's a kind of a, a two-way BA stack with a kind of a woofer BA and a tweeter BA. And then next to it is, uh, you know, kind of a, an average dynamic driver we see in some of, in some of the designs. So, yeah, it's a little bit different uh, than what we're used to seeing. Uh, but, um, you know, this is a standard semiconductor SMT reflowable package. And a lot of companies really want to put this on Flex and reflow it on. And, you know, Flex kind of decouples things from the mechanical structure where you don't have to have it, you know, touching the same, you know, PCB as some other things. So it helps to mechanically isolate the speaker from the microphone and vice versa when you're using SMT. Yep. Okay. You can also solder wires on. The pads are big enough for, for manual assembly for wires. Okay. Oh, okay. And then on the bottom is just some, some, some renderings of some things that uh, we, we've worked on. You know, we have to make some EVKs ourselves. Uh, EVKs meaning that we have to kind of produce some 3D printed housings and put our speaker inside so people can hear the top port, the side port. Uh, and then, you know, we got our feet wet with tuning, uh, put using, you know, you know, dampers in the output tube, you know, some acoustic impedance dampers you can place in and it shapes the frequency response. And then you think you got it sounding good. And then the sales guys come back and say, hey, we need the hard curve <laughs> and then you got to go back and change some things around and and do some tuning and get the response right and pump the bass and maybe match uh, the beats curve because they have a little bass boost and so mm -hmm. all of that's been fun uh, to work on but it, it kind of forces us as a transducer manufacturer to actually get into a little bit of our hands uh, becoming dirty with uh, a basic design mm -hmm. so really they're just meant for listening so people can just put, put them in their ears and kind of hear what the transducer can sound like you know the high precision the clear sound uh, the accurate reproduction and and that's really what we've done here with an in-ear monitor style design and also you could see a rendering on the lower right where we have uh, three microphones uh, placed in there uh, for say an implementation uh, for putting a, a, a TAWS ANC type of an earbud together. And they're just examples, right? We've got probably 10 or 15 of them now uh, of different designs uh, where we can give the customer our CAD and say, hey, here you go. Uh, try this design. If you like the way it sounds, follow these geometries, use this damper. Here's the EQ curve. You can duplicate exactly what you heard of the EDK if you want, or you can kind of, you know, get into the DSP and, and, and tune it uh, uh, any way you want, really. Okay. So that's kind of the device under test, a, a unique uh, transducer with some interesting behaviors. Um, here's our test lab. Uh, this is what, what we we're using here to verify that uh, the material that we're getting from uh, the packaging uh, partner that goes out for shipping meets, meets and matches all of the data sheet uh, results. So what we do in this lab is we compare our measurements with our engineering facility in Taiwan. So they do the characterization. Uh, they're using uh, Gross uh, ear and cheek simulator. They have 7-Eleven coupler. They use and listen sound check. Um, I'm doing the same thing here, except for my coupler's B and K. And we recently got, uh, I don't know if you guys can see, we have the 5128 hats or the high frequency head. We finally got ours from B and K with the new 20 kilohertz ear sims. And so we just compare measurements back and forth uh, between the labs. And, and once uh, that's achieved, I take that test script, I make it available to the, to the customers who are doing the eval measurements, because it's important when you ship a product to a customer that they're able to at least uh, verify uh, data sheet performance. And, and so I'm uh, making sure everything that goes out matches that. And then I share those test scripts uh, with the companies that are receiving our samples. And then I help talk them through the stimulus, uh, getting, getting the signal set up into the amplifier correctly, and then, uh, you know, making sure they're getting the frequency response and the THD uh, measurements that they, uh, that match ours. And then they're free uh, to go off into the wild and experiment with their prototyping. Mm. So pretty standard equipment, nothing super fancy. Yep. Super fancy. <laughs> Well, I mean, we don't have a full hats. We just have the head. And, and I, I didn't even need the head for a while. I was just using the ears. So I think all in this was a, you know, $30,000 uh, purchase to get us to get us into testing, not 130. So, right. <laughs> but my next budget <laughs> that I'm asking for, uh, maybe a little more. And uh, here's an example of what we're using to test. Uh, we're using the standard 7-Eleven uh, coupler 
Um, we're using a free field uh, or a pressure field mic, depending on if we're going to do some baffle or open air measurements, which we have to do from time to time. You know, the speaker is intended for occluded designs, but as uh, you see on the right side here, um, we put a couple of uh, housings together and experimented with uh, free air. We wanted to see if these can be put in glasses or glasses frames. And mm -hmm. uh, pardon me while I lift my, my laptop up, but I'll, I'll back you up and show you. Um, let me know if you guys can see. Uh, I call him Harry because, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't have any, but uh, these are like some glasses. These are kind of prototypes where we're putting the transducers in the frames. And, uh, you know, we're making measurements here and, and finding out that we can propagate sound uh, in free air uh, in, in the mid-range and the high frequencies. Uh, we don't, can't really move any bass, obviously. We're, we're not, we don't displace that much X-Max to, uh, you know, have that much X-Max in the system to make bass and free air, obviously. But uh, for the mids and the highs, it's pretty clear and it's pretty loud too. So we actually brought these to CES and uh, we're demoing in our, in our suite and people were uh, quite surprised surprised at the high frequency resolution and the detail and the sound that they were hearing just out of our, our prototypes. Hmm. Hmm. It's uh, got a lot of applications as this augmented reality products and, and, and virtual reality products become more popular. I think one of the feature sets that people want is if they're virtual reality is to, you can't have your ears occluded as well as your eyes occluded. So the ability to have open air uh, listening uh, personalized listening devices is a kind of a, a, a upcoming market demand, especially in, in VR applications. Oh uh, yeah. No kidding. I was thinking about that because since it's a cell based uh, uh, kind of approach, you can have an array in an arc around the ear and generate quite a bit of energy in mid range and, and high frequency and, and maybe work that with a large dynamic and, and have some kind of uh, spatial effects around the ear. Yeah, you don't want people lost in the metaverse and not realize the fire alarms going off. <laughs> I think I'm already lost in the metaverse myself, but yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Um, oh, basically, yeah, Bluetooth. So we have a we have a Bluetooth module up on on the mixer there. So when we when we pair up and connect, we can also do some testing uh, 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 with the Bluetooth connection here uh, when we're doing some comparison to TWS and and other glasses that are that are Bluetooth oriented. Um, this slide here just shows what comes in an evaluation kit. Um, we have a little amplifier board, um, which I'll show you here. I, I prefer to, to, to run everything off DC when doing testing because I don't like AC coupling uh, to the, to, you know, using like power supplies on, on laptops or electricity and some places aren't so clean. So we always ship a DC supply, three AAA batteries, and there's a pair of our amplifiers on here. So two mono amps. That's what's inside the box. It says X-MEMS here on the screen. Mm -hmm. and, and basically that just steps up voltage. We take, a, you know, anywhere from two and a half to 3.3 volt input, and then it, it, it multiplies that up. So as I mentioned earlier, the amp's capable of 30 volts peak to peak. That drives us to max SPL. However, listening uh, at a moderate level, you're probably only going to be operating the amplifier between two and four volts peak to peak. Uh, so um, to get, you know, kind of 85, 94 dB SPL is achieved at four volts peak to peak at 1K. So I would imagine that people aren't listening at 94 for a very long period of time. Um, but that's what the amplifier uh, delivers. And so we give the schematic and the reference circuit to the customer so they can lay things out. We actually even uh, recently put the amplifier and the bomb, the whole uh, required uh, peripheral uh, passives on the back of the side fire uh, 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 substrate. So we were able to make a slot for the bypass uh, uh, gaps on the back vents and then literally put the amplifier circuit on uh, the back of uh, Montera package. So it's a powered studio monitor for your ear to do some uh, rapid prototyping too with some big solder pads on it. So that's pretty uh, helpful. A lot, of, a lot of the customers have adopted to, to, to try those first since the amp circuit's already integrated for them. They don't have to lay anything out or order flex or do, mm -hmm. do soldering of Litz wires, <laughs> which is everyone's favorite thing to do. Uh, what's the supply voltage you need? Uh, uh, minimum 2.5, but 3.3 supply for, for it would be, would be, you know, what, uh, would, would drive the amplifier to max output. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's yeah. stepping up, it's stepping up that, uh, that output voltage. Yeah. 20, you mentioned uh, before class H amplifier, was it? Yeah, it's a class oh. H. We, we tried class, uh, we started out, 
by using uh, uh, an amplifier that was available uh, in the marketplace that was designed for piezo uh, uh, devices. Um, it was originally a national uh, part, national semiconductor part. And then after TI bought them, they kept the part in production. Um, so people in the space that work with piezo devices know the LM48580 really well. Decent amp, uh, but it's extremely uh, dated. It's uh, over a decade since it probably was designed and first released and hasn't been you know, optimized since, but it, oper it works, right? And it, it gave us an opportunity to get sample kits out and send these things out to customers on these test coupons, uh, give them some coupler adapters to screw onto the 7-Eleven, and they were able to start making some measurements and seeing how the transducer behaves. But the power consumption for that TI amp was uh, high, and the bomb that was required for uh, for it had some components that are just a bit too large mm -hmm. for a TWS say integration. So we uh, experimented with some Class D vendors, but Class D um, and its switching uh, behavior wasn't a good match for the piezo uh, mem structure that we have. So we uh, hired our own team. Uh, and we developed our own amplifier based on a class H uh, design, a standard class H circuit that we that we uh, worked with. And they, in under 10 months, released uh, uh, our first amp, which uh, we now have in production and shipping out uh, in evaluation. So that was really cool. We came out with that and have another one on the way with even less power consumption. What is, uh, uh, what is class H? Class H is uh, sort of like a rail follower is uh, kind of the nickname for it. It looks at the input signal and then it uh, provides just enough or just slightly more voltage and current than the input signal requires. So it's uh, it's not quite a switching design, uh, but it does modulate uh, the output based on what the input signal is asking for. And so it's efficient uh, in, in its power consumption. It's not just giving max current and max voltage at steady state at all times and letting the transducer figure it out. It's actually tracking uh, what the input signal is, 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 uh, is, uh, is uh, asking for, if you will. And then it provides that voltage and current accordingly. And I think just a small amount of extra for headroom, uh, obviously, in the system to make sure it behaves in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. mm, okay. okay. And then what, uh, let's see, let me grab uh, the coupler real quick because I'm really uh, kind of excited about this thing here. We're using a lot of, uh, you know, compound and stuff to kind of seal things in. And that's when we figured out, well, we should really come up with a, uh, some way of using a test coupon. And then let's see how we get the test coupon uh, into the coupler. And that, that took a little, little, little bit of uh, design work on our side. So let me open this up real quick here. A little fun with the toys. So we have these uh, coupler adapters for the gross coupler and also uh, the B and K coupler. And so there's a different thread count and a slightly different size for the outside of those couplers, but they all have the same, I think it's four CC uh, on the inside. The hearing aid guys use a two CC coupler, which is uh, definitely smaller, uh, but for the four CC, which is most popular in the consumer space, we have this bad boy. And so it's a 3D printed part and what we have is a test coupon. We have a little uh, poron material, uh, compressible foam, and that, mm -hmm. that seals into this cavity and allows the test coupon to be placed in and screwed, screwed down. So this test coupon uses the same uh, MMCX connector that's on the earbud. So, you know, basically you take the earbud off and put the test coupon on, and then you can mount it uh, into this uh, adapter, which screws Another foam uh, surround is inside to make a seal against the 7-Eleven coupler without the collar on it. So just screw this bad boy in like this and then reassemble uh, with the test coupon in there. And let's put the foam in there so it makes a nice airtight seal. And then basically just, you have... Just hold that up a little higher, Michael. Ah, sorry, yeah, right guys. There. Okay, now we can see it. Perfect. Uh -huh. And then the test coupon goes in. And we put mm -hmm. the cover on it and you're able to measure this in the standard 7-Eleven, which is good to, you know, 10 kilohertz. Yep. And uh, you're, you're off to the races. Beautiful. What does the curve look like then? Ah, I think I have some of that to show yep. as well. Uh, here you go. So here's a comparison to a full range BA. And so I kind of line things up for, a, a, you know, kind of output 
And we're pretty flat. We have a 2 dB LFRO uh, from 20 hertz to 8. 850, I guess we kind of pick up a little bit there, you can see. And then you'll notice the behavior on the left of the piezo MEMS is that it just increases its sensitivity as we get to our resonance. So what you don't see, once we start climbing up in amplitude, we don't come back down until after our resonance, which is way high up in the spectrum. So if you look at a BA, um, you know, it's always going to have that near three uh, kilohertz kind of bump to make up for the ear canal uh, resonance. So a lot of the, the BAs and, and, and dynamics and or BAs from the hearing aid space, they're actually designed for, you know, hearing aid resonances and things like that. So, you know, there's always going to be those peaks, but they're also going to dip down and come up again and dip down and come up again and dip down. So, so you have to EQ with that. You have to work with maybe sometimes a couple of BAs to kind of smooth responses out. Um, but with this type of transducer, it's a completely different uh, uh, response. And so now you have to think about how you're going to use cutting of EQ frequencies to shape your response or using the passive damper or actually tube geometries in the output tube of the uh, earbud can be uh, engineered so that they shape your output response. And just with mechanical engineering, you can wind up shaping the high frequency response to kind of look any way that you want, so any target curve that you're after. But inherently, uh, the piezo MEMS transducer becomes more efficient after 1K and continues to, to deliver amplitude into the system. Now, that's unlistenable. You don't want to hear that curve, but that's what it does uh, by nature. Uh, and so that, uh, in my opinion, uh, gives you uh, EQ cutting opportunities uh, and not as much EQ boosting, uh, which is, is probably much better. Um, I'm curious about something. You've got any insight into this, the uh, BA receiver, and that would look probably similar to a dynamic driver too. Uh, when you measure it on a coupler, you see this sort of three to four, there's the peaks, there's a couple of resonances, basically three, three K and then up again at eight K, whatever it is. Uh, but in the, uh, in the XMEMS plot, it seems to be gone not is it just not visible or uh, do you have any insight into what happened to those peaks uh, yeah well the the, the bk the b and k coupler or, or just the 4cc volume in the in the in the in the metal tube um yeah. that that has a resonance up up near 12.5 yeah. uh, so so those resonance are up there um in the coupler itself um what i think we're seeing here below 10 kilohertz is actually the uh, the behavior of the system so uh that ba uh, is behaving just like that. So the 711 coupler is pretty accurate below 10K. So it's not adding any, 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 uh, any, any influence on the frequency response below 10K. I shouldn't say any, but nothing that's going to influence the shape. The, 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 this BA driver was engineered to have that peak exactly where that is. Okay. Yeah, that's not a, it's not a measurement artifact. All right, so uh, yeah, and typically you would have to have to put a uh, a low pass filter with the XMEMS, or the side fire lid actually attenuates frequencies above 10k. Okay. So if you so this is the top port, but the side port will start rolling off somewhere around uh, eight actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has a different uh, a different uh, frequency response uh, just by the lid design itself. And so uh, not don't have to tame as much of that uh, free energy <laughs> that you have in the upper octaves. Yeah. yeah. But what it does do is uh, when I was listening to this initially, unprocessed, just raw, um, you know, obviously it's, oh, where's the bass for everything. But when I brought the volume down and I just was listening, I just wanted to listen. Um, and I, 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 you know, there's a lot of harmonics. So if you imagine a fundamental at, at, at 1K and you in the second and third and fourth and the harmonics that go out, you know, this system's more efficient, right? So there's more amplitude there. Uh, and so I believe the harmonics uh, was something that was really coming at me. Um, so when you go to lit, when people are going to uh, tune these, um, they're actually leaving in a little bit more gain, uh, not well, not gain. They're leaving a little bit more of those highs in their products because it's revealing more detail of the recording. Um, because it's such a fast transducer and the transient response um, is so quick and it's, it has such a, a well-controlled behavior that the symbols and decay of reverbs and uh, high-frequency instruments like maracas and shakers and timbales, and, 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 you know, you get a busy mix with a lot of instruments uh, that create 
sound energy above 5K and 8K and 10K, you know, having a transducer that can accurately reproduce that and give, give some real energy where you can see a lot of the traditional speakers that are in the market, they're falling off after 10K. Um, another popular company that's in the, the MEM space with their driver it rolling off after 15 and, and, and actually can't compete uh, when you get up near, uh, uh, you know, 16, 18, 20. Uh, kilohertz. Now, there's not a lot of information recorded uh, by instruments and singers in that range in the studio. However, there are, uh, are there are harmonic uh, uh, artifacts in, in in these instruments and in the room it was recorded in and, and things. And I think a lot of that comes through uh, on this type of speaker than than others. And then you, you talk about spatial audio and you talk about positioning things accurately in three dimensional space. Um, since the phase is so tight uh, and, the, and the drivers are nearly identical, um, the azimuth uh, judgment error for uh, a pair of these and earbuds versus a dynamic or a BA, I think the fastest dynamic we found was uh, uh, an in-ear monitor style dynamic, and it can resolve to seven degrees uh, uh, azimuth uh, judgment error, and we can resolve to one degree uh, in 3D space. So basically, you know, if you think about cues in a game or a film producer working with sound effects in, in Dolby Atmos or what have you, um, you know, you can resolve the position more accurately with a fast transducer, especially a pair of them that are uh, behaving the same. So it really gives you phase coherency, which equates into accurate delivery in, in, in the, in, in the, in 3d space. Very interesting. Very yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that phase, the phase matching the, uh, the uh, consistency too, I guess. Yeah, that is really important. Uh, honestly, we mechanically have a derivation uh, measurement from that laser system I mentioned earlier, and we were two degrees plus or minus one from 100 hertz out, uh, out past three. And we have companies that are uh, experimenting with expanding the ANC bandwidth, uh, getting past that one, two kilohertz, and they're actually getting 20, 25 dB of cancellation, much higher up in, in the spectrum. I can't talk too much about it, but uh, uh, the algorithm engineers that are tuning ANCs are really pleased to have a transducer this fast. Uh, and by the way, a pair of them that will behave identically is really the, is really the uh, game changing for them. So now we're uh, you know working with microphone partners to get the fastest uh, uh, microphones we can in these circuits and, and and let these algorithm engineers see exactly what they can uh, achieve as far as performance enhancement and uh, additional cancellation and wider bandwidth. Mm. And okay. this, this slide here is just really kind of showing you that, no, the response doesn't have to look like that. We just want you to know what does the transducer do by nature? How does it sound by design? How does the system behave? Once the engineers know that and get comfortable with the fact that we've got a different kind of impedance curve than you're used to seeing, we have a different frequency response than you're used to seeing, uh, you know, then they can start tuning accordingly. And so that's kind of why I like starting at the beginning, you know, what, why is it, what's different? Transduction mechanism operates differently. We have a different material stack up. And, and of course, these unique attributes and behaviors need to be accommodated for when you go to test them. So that's why I think talking about testing them is really the best place to start, because that's where everyone in the industry is going to start. They're like, well, send me some samples. Let's evaluate your sand. Let's see what sand or hear what sand sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, to help them out, we've got to do this kind of stuff that I'm showing you, you gentlemen today, make some EBK kits and come up with some adapters. And what you see here is uh, on the right hand side is a, is a capture from Soundcheck. This is the stimulus window. Um, so, you know, we, we, we want to make sure people understand understand, you know, how much millivolts RMS is required to drive the amp to get an equivalent output so you can understand what your results are. Um, on the left is just a response curve for uh, uh, a DSP that was run to actually shape the EQ the way we wanted. So, you know, just kind of went into uh, the DSP tool and, and, and put a five by quad EQ in place. And we came up with something that would be close to what you would probably recognize already is the Harman curve or something close uh, to that. So you can really shape whatever you want uh, as far as a frequency response um, uh, with, with, with this speaker. It, it, it takes EQ so well. Um, I pump up the bass a lot and I, I pump up the mid-range a lot and I just kind of experiment with, with, with listening to the spectral uh, kind of character of different bands of frequencies as I'm listening to different music. And um, at no time have I ever broken a speaker and at no time has a speaker distorted. 
So pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh, I think I've already showed you the impulse responses. I think the last thing was uh, we wanted to try uh, uh, measuring uh, a mesh, a protective mesh, uh, in case someone wanted to cover uh, the speaker uh, and make sure that uh, the mesh, would, you know, what would it do to the frequency response? So mm -hmm. you can see a photograph at the bottom is kind of a metallic uh, thin wire mesh with some uh, pressure sensitive adhesive on there. So it's mounted on top of the test coupon. And I thought it was kind of cool just to kind of put this up here to show, you know, we're experimenting with putting things over the lids because people are doing that. They're, they're actually wanting wax guards uh, in their products. So earwax doesn't get inside mm -hmm. or stuff doesn't fall in. So what would happen to the frequency response if we uh, put a protective mesh on? Well, had to go figure it out. And you can see, you know, a little bit of attenuation. It changes the response a little bit uh, uh, on the test coupon into the coupler. Uh, but, um, you know, not, not, not too much would, it would prevent you from using it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So actually, actually one of my favorite durability tests in in-ear products is the the Nutella test for earwax simulation. <laughs> uh, Nutella, <laughs> a flavorful That's, test, I would yes. imagine. <laughs> yes, it's actually, it's uh, what's it called? Phonak told us that once that they use Nutella to simulate the earwax. <laughs> Anyways, just wow. <laughs> distraction to the conversation here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. That's... Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much. Uh... Oh, that's the thank you slide. Uh, I, oh. I ran out the content, guys. <laughs> but uh, my contact information is here. So if anyone wants to screen capture this and, and reach out to me, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn and my company sure. emails there. And, and that's my, and that's my cell phone. I'm not I'm not hard to find. And um, yeah, it'd be, be great to, you know, answer anybody's questions offline if they were interested in this. And, and you guys also have office in Taipei or Taiwan um, and anywhere else yeah, in the world? We, yeah, we have. Uh, let's see. I think those were the other. Let's see. Let me go here. Um, and yeah, so we have a facility in Taiwan. And yeah. that is where our engineering uh, is conducted. Um, and uh, we have distribution now set up, uh, two distributors, and we've uh, hired out country managers for the different territories. Uh, mm -hmm. FAE, we just had our sales and FAE training, which was really exciting for us as a startup, getting into the point where, hey, we got customers beating on our door, we got the support. And so uh, it's really fun time for us because we're bringing in uh, you know, applications, we're bringing in systems, uh, we're bringing in FAEs, uh, sales directors. And so we've got, we're kind of growing pretty, pretty quick right now, especially after after CES, we had a, a great reception there in our, in our demo suite. Uh, we were actually surprised for the people that did show up, which it wasn't a, a highly attended show, but out, out of the people that did show up, I will say that um, at least four people had tears in their eyes listening to their favorite tracks. Um, we had a listening station set up and just come on in and have a listen. And uh, they'd uh, put the earbuds in and I'd ask them, of course, what, what, do you, what would you like to have? And we would download it to the Amazon uh, HD. We would download a 24-bit uh, 96K uh, uncompressed WAV file uh, mm -hmm. to the tablet and just said, here you go. And they were just, you know, sometimes 15 minutes, they're just silent and just, can I hear another track? Yep, yep no problem. And, and, you know, one guy's crying. I mean, literally, he's like looking at the tissue that we're wiping stuff off with. And he's, he's dry, drying his cheeks. And he's like, that just the sound. I, I, those are my favorite songs. I, I know this music. And I know the engineer that worked on this session and, and I didn't know that was in there. This is great. So uh, we're not semiconductor guys. We're not speaker guys. We're, we're, we make people cry. <laughs> we're selling emotion, really. We're, we're providing uh, so much accuracy to the reproduction of the music that the intent of the musician, um, there's less in the way. Uh, especially in the time domain <laughs> with such a fast speaker. And so you can really hear stuff you've never heard before. If you guys, th uh, you know, um, uh, give me your addresses and I'll send you some demo earbuds and mm -hmm. uh, listen to uh, Wish You Were Here from Pink mm -hmm. Floyd uh, uh, on these things. You can hear people mumbling in the background. You can hear the guy, his chair squeak. You can hear, <clears throat> I mean, stuff that I didn't notice when I was listening on FM radio or vinyl and right, with right, a nice right. setup, I thought it's, oh my God, you know, the, the, um, the squeak in some of the Led Zeppelin songs of the kick drum pedal that, you know, people say, oh, there it is. You can hear it through the whole track. 
mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it's not like the highs are pumped. It's just resolving that high frequency content that's there. It's just, it's, it's really something. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to do that. There's one test that uh, I think Richard Little told me years back was on uh, back in black with uh, very faintly at the beginning, Brian Johnson goes counts off three, four, and with a really good uh, pair of headphones, you can hear that, you can usually hear the four, but the three is hard to come by. And so right before Angus hits the guitar in that song is, is something always to make sure you have a well-balanced mid-range uh, in your headphones. So this would be, that'd be an interesting track for me to try, but that, I think, I think that's a whole discussion on, on what tracks and what little, little tidbits to listen to, to kind of, that's a, like a listening uh, training course <laughs> anyways. You know something? I'm glad you brought that up. Let me pull up. Let me pull this up. I want to show this, guys, because I think it's important. You know, there. You know, you can't go buy a book or 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 or, or just have someone tell you how to tune uh, these systems. Uh, you got to fail yourself into success. <laughs> and uh, um, oh, pardon my base rig uh, screensaver there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm looking for Amazon. Let's see. That's my reference rig there. 2.4 kilowatts, Mesa Boogie, bass, amps, and Epiphany cabinets with the five-string Spectre bass. That's uh, that's my office away from my office. Right. <laughs> so let me show you the playlist. So um, we have a playlist from Ontario Tuning. And my playlist is now up to 14 hours and 35 minutes. And what we've done here is since we've got uh, staff in Taiwan and they're uh, dealing with uh, customers in Asia, they're sending me their reference tracks that their customers want to hear uh, in Taiwan, in Japan, in South Korea. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're getting we're getting a lot of, uh, uh, hey, this is my favorite track. Hey, this artist or this is what I use as a reference. So what I started asking our, our field application team and our sales guys is please give me your customer's top three reference tracks. I want to know what people are listening to. Uh, so this is now, our list is up to 14 hours and 35 minutes. There's 163 songs. And guess who's listened to this thing several times through from beginning to end to make sure there's no sibilance and no artificial wacky sound in our EQ curve. Uh, you're looking at a me. So mm-hmm. over 450 hours of listening that I've done with these in my ears um, to kind of craft what I would say is, hey, try this frequency response. Everyone hears differently and every company has a different target curve or maybe they want to copy some other company's target curve. But be that what it is, you still at the end of the day have to put these in ears couplers be damned metal tubes are not us uh, mm-hmm. even the ear sims as, as great as they are are still a, a representation of a standard system that we can at least have a cal standard and a reference to work with but at the end of the day you've got the best mics in the world glued to your head so let's use them and so that's what i've been doing and so there's music from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I have some mono tracks, some old jazz stuff with one mic in a room where guys mm-hmm. were just standing around and when the sax solo came in, the sax player would just come a little closer to the mic and then he'd back up later, mm-hmm. all the way to modern recordings. Um, you know, So uh, heavy metal, hip hop, Chinese music, um, you know, instrumental uh, acapellas, uh, Hammond organ, church music, you name it, uh, we have it all. So I'm gonna ask you guys the same question. Please, along with your addresses, uh, send me your three reference tracks. I want to know what they are. I want to add them to the reference list. I want to give them an audition, and I can't wait for you to hear uh, hear the earbuds uh, yourselves with your with your three favorite tracks. Okay. Now, speaking of that, for anyone that's watching, uh, is there any products in the market that they could go go buy and try out uh, your your Mem's speakers? Coming. Any, uh, coming, yeah, coming, yeah, the, uh, well, at CES, we probably, we had several partners uh, uh, mm-hmm. that brought over earbuds, uh, hearing-assisted device, uh, TWS, um, uh, I think there was a couple wired, so there was probably at least a dozen uh, products in in flow, uh, what we call them design wins, and coming yeah. into production, yeah, coming yeah, into okay. production. Yeah. So, so we're expecting... This- Later this year, maybe September launch, something like this? Uh, definitely before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and ho- ho- hopefully before summer, uh, really. I right. think spring release, uh, you know, mercifully, I'm 
self-decoupled from the commercial side of the business. I, I'm a musician. I'm an audiophile. I'm, a, mm-hmm. uh, I'm into music. Uh, this, is my, this is my happy place. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased uh, to not know how much it costs and, and who's doing what. <laughs> and I just focusing on, on, on uh, what I believe is a once in a lifetime opportunity to help uh, uh, audio engineers uh, discover a new transduction mechanism and its benefits. And so that's where I've been focusing my time. Okay, very good. I think that's uh, that's a lot of information for today. So let's let's maybe table that for today. But we encourage everybody. We'll put uh, Michael's contact information in the description below, and we encourage everybody to 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 give ask questions, fire in your questions. I'll make sure that uh, we get the feedback from Michael for you. So just please feel free to punch your questions into the uh, into the uh, below the description in, in the video here. And uh, so, yeah, any, anything else you'd like to uh, add before we go, uh, Michael? I would say that uh, most of uh, the good stuff I can't talk about, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, there's, I believe we have at least 30 patents granted, uh, uh, probably more. Uh, every week another plaque comes in. Um, and so there's patents uh, coming in like crazy. And there's another probably close to a hundred um, in process. There's a gigantic intellectual property estate and being a startup and just coming out of stealth mode and jumping into production and being able to put out an amp, uh, three speakers and one with a dynamic vent in the, in the year and four months we've been kind of open for business is, is astonishing. But I, I, I wish I could really tell you what's going on, but without an NDA in place, I can only kind of cryptically describe and show some cartoons and stuff. But um, so if the questions come in are a little too specific, please cut, cut me a little slack. Uh, uh, an NDA may need to be put in place first before we can get into to some real detail. So maybe that was some of the evasiveness that you heard from me earlier, Simon. I apologize. Yeah. I love the the questions, but uh, in a public forum, um, we have to be careful at the early stage because I think we got a tiger by the tail here. So we're trying sure. to, you know, sure. uh, do it the no. right way. A lot of our viewers are, are pretty much heavy on the technical side, so I'm sure there might be some people reaching out and asking for that NDA and how they might be able to integrate these into some future products. So I guess uh, let's let's wrap it up. Please encourage everybody to uh, like, subscribe, and share, and all that good, uh, cheesy, uh, what do we call it, social networking uh, jargon. So uh, I guess thank you, Michael. Thank you, Simon. And hit, uh, the, and hit the notification bell. Don't forget oh, that right. one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I think only about 5% of our viewers are actually subscribed. So it's, uh, I think that's a, a typical trend. But anyways, I digress. Uh, enjoyed. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And uh, we'll see you, see you in a future episode. Thank you. Appreciate your time, guys. Thank you. Bye.